0: We will pick up today, where we left off last week, we will be in Luke chapter 11. And since we are in this season of reset and in this time of prayer that the Lord has called us to, we feel that it would be prudent to continue to examine this topic of prayer. And we're going to learn two truths from what Jesus has to say today in Luke 11, beginning in verse 5. But first, let's pray and ask for the Spirit's help. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us. We pray that we be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name, amen. Well, you may remember the context from last week. Jesus' disciples have approached him and said, Hey, John taught his disciples to pray. Can you teach us to pray? So he gave us what is most often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It appears in Luke. That's what we've looked at. It also appears in Matthew. And it, we learned that it was more of a map than a script, And that Jesus, as our leader, as our Savior, as our Master Teacher, He laid out several different destinations for us to which we are to drive toward in prayer. Things like remembering that God is our Father, praying for the hallowing, the the holiness of God's name, praying for the advancement of His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, uh, so on and so forth. And now on top of that, Jesus continues to expand his thoughts on prayer. And the two principles that he gives us today, boy, they're very needful in our journey that we are taking as refuge and also uh, for us as individuals and families. So let's pick up the trail right here in verse five. And he said to them, "Which of you has a friend? Uh, wh- which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, "Friend, lend me three loaves." For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, this is a little bit of an interesting response that Jesus has here, isn't it? So, what is this? Well, in some ways, it's somewhat of a parable. Now, it's not as concrete as some of the parables that Jesus used. The Good Samaritan, for example. That's one of Jesus's greatest hits, so to speak. But it is still very much parabolic in nature. He is using uh, a constructed scenario, something that they would have been familiar with, to drive home uh, uh, some principle truth that will help them in their journey with prayer so that's what this is it's a parable like response to teach them about how to pray now when we look at some of the pieces here it's this constructed scenario it's worth another look look back in your text there where there's an uh, he's speaking to his audience and he says okay so you got this friend and then the friend shows up at your house at midnight presumably you're already in bed you've been in bed for a while potentially and he asks hey i need three loaves so this is not a inconsequential request here food would have been hard to come by in that time and he said the reason i need these is because a friend has showed up at my house and i don't have anything to feed him and so the 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 way that this happens is the person on the inside, that, that would be us in this story or the disciples that he's speaking to, uh, he answers and says, don't bother me, the door is shut, my children are with me in bed. And what he's talking about there is, at this time uh, in history, there would have been almost like one room house kind of living, and there would have been probably one large bed and so all of the family would have been in it (laughs) he would have had mom and dad at the top and the kids strewn around at the bottom Uh, it's almost like something we see from the frontier where it it was kind of like that but then you also have a couple of dogs laying around now they wouldn't have had pets like that at this time but the whole concept of everybody's kind of sleeping in the same space and in the same bed that is what he was getting at there but then look at verse 8, because here we get somewhat of the payoff from this particular parable-like passage. I tell you, though he will not and give him though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And so basically, in layman's terms, what Jesus is saying here is, listen, the friendship bond is not enough to get you out of the bed to do what needs to be done here, but because your friend keeps standing there and keeps knocking and keeps pestering you, that leads to action. That's what he's getting at there, at the impudence. And then Jesus makes it very explicit what he's communicating in verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So if we take all this together and make it a principle, it would sound something like this. As followers of Jesus, we need to pray with both boldness and perseverance. As followers of Jesus, we need to pray with both boldness and perseverance. And even the language that he uses right here you ask, you seek, you knock it, it carries with it that same kind of idea. Uh, I, I think in pictures, and so the picture that comes to my mind here is almost that of a, a bulldog on a pork chop. that, that once you lay hold of what you're praying for, you shake and shake and shake, and you keep shaking until God answers. Now, the question I think we need to ask here is based on what we just learned, is that descriptive of our prayers? Do we pray like a bulldog on a pork chop? Do we pray like a friend that shows up in the middle of the night and knocks and knocks and knocks and keeps knocking until we get an answer? My guess is it depends. Because most of us, particularly here in the West, we have been so inundated and it led to believe that things need to happen instantly. Man, we need instant results. We, we have microwaves for our food. You can get online and get almost any product you need, almost any piece of information you need. We need this. We need this to happen now. It should have happened yesterday. And that kind of thinking bleeds right over into our prayer lines. And so what often happens is we might ask, but we don't continue to seek. And we certainly don't continue to knock. We want it now. We want it yesterday. And if it doesn't happen, well, on we go. And many times the sad reality is we end up blaming God in the process for things that are not his fault at all. And so what we need to do is we need to be challenged by what we see in this passage. We need to take a step back and say, wait a minute. I think I probably need some adjustments in how I pray. And I I think there's a good word for us here. There's a guy named J.I. Packer. He was actually making this comment uh, in regard to evangelism and its relationship with the sovereignty of God. But I think that the concept that he puts out here before us is really important to understand in this discussion. He says, when he's talking about evangelism, he says, God ordains the ends... And what he means there is that that some would be saved, but God also ordains the means. And in that case, he's talking about the sharing of the gospel. But that certainly applies to what we're getting here with prayer because God ordains the ends in the sense that certain things will happen, different events will take place, things could go this way or this way, and God directs it and, and he ordains his will to be carried out. And he ordains the means by which that occurs. He wants his people to pray. He wants his people to keep praying. He wants them to ask. He wants them to seek. He wants them to knock. He wants them to keep knocking. And in the process, what God is doing there is he is cultivating. He is shaping Christ-like character within us. He is reminding us the truth that we learn in John 15, that apart from Him, we can do nothing. He is revealing to us that He is the greatest treasure in this world, in any world, and that He is the ultimate Father, Guider, Leader, Shepherd of our souls, and He is cultivating a relationship with Him as we seek, as we pray, as we knock. So what we need to do is we need to pray like Jesus teaches us to pray. We need to ask. We need to seek. We need to knock. And we need to keep knocking. We need to be like this almost annoying friend, continuing to bring our prayers before the Lord. And you might say, Dustin, that's a kind of weird way to look at it. Well, it's not my way to look at it. That's exactly what Jesus says. And he's telling them you got to pray and you got to keep praying and that flies in the face of everything we talked about in our own culture but that is the way of the bible and let me tell you something friends many of the things that are significant in this life they require constant prayer now Am I suggesting that God has some kind of scale and we have to pray a certain amount and oh, it's gonna tip the, not at all. I'm simply saying to you what Jesus is saying in this passage, that we need to ask, we need to seek, we need to knock, we need to keep knocking because that's what he says. So my encouragement to you is pray and don't give up. Pray and keep praying. Pray the way that Jesus tells us to pray. And when we do, we can trust the Lord with the results. We can trust that a sovereign God is going to work out His sovereign plan, and He has ordained both the ends and the means. And He will accomplish His will, and He will do it in part through the prayers of His people. So friends, pray and keep praying. Pray for your church. Keep praying for your church. Pray for yourself. Keep praying for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for those coworkers that don't yet know Jesus and keep praying. Now, let's take a look at verse 11, because Jesus takes this yet another step further. And he says this, "'What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, <clears throat> will instead give him a fish, uh, will instead of a fish give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, what Jesus is doing here is He was doing a, a type of teaching that was common at this time. It's called arguing from the lesser to the greater. And you see this very clearly in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about worry. And he says, don't worry. And then he gives this illustration and he says, consider the lilies of the field. If your father takes care of them and clothes them more beautiful than Solomon, is he not going to take care of you? So he uses a lesser analogy, the flowers of the field, to point to a greater truth. God is going to take care of you. That's exactly what he's doing here. And he's saying, listen. Think of yourselves, you who are fathers in particular. You're evil, you're born in sin, you need the redemption that that Jesus has come to offer. And if it is still in your hearts to give good gifts to your children, to give them what they ask for, then how in the world would God, who is the ultimate Father, the perfect Father, know taste or scent of evil in him at all how would he not far surpass the gifts that he would give us and the primary gift that he's referring to there is the holy spirit the gift that keeps on giving if you want to think of it that way so taken together our second principle from this passage is that we should pray knowing that our heavenly father loves us and he will answer our prayers We need to pray, knowing that our Heavenly Father loves us and that He will answer our prayers. Now, again, what is it that we're talking about here primarily? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. But also, this extends beyond that, doesn't it? And here is where that notion of the sovereignty of God that we talked about and also the boldness and the persistence that we talked about, here's where they they come together yet again. And this is also where we need to be very practical in applying the gospel, because a lot of times what happens is we do pray, we do seek, we do knock, but then it may take weeks for the Lord to return a visible answer to us. It may take months, it may take years. And in some cases we don't even see the fruition of our prayers and what happens in those moments is that our three enemies the world the flesh and the devil conspire and work against us and try to convince us that god is somehow malevolent that god is somehow against us that that god just does not hear he is not going to answer at all and friends those things are just not true and the application of the gospel here is in those moments where we feel that God does not hear, where we we wonder if God is even involved or present, that's when we most needfully look at the cross. Because if you ever wonder what God thinks about you, if you ever wonder what in the world is going on in the world, we must look at the full and finished work of Jesus. Because it is our ultimate north star. It is our ultimate reminder of the heart of God on display. The the full and finished work of Jesus transcends our feelings and how we think things are going. It is the most important fixed point in history that when we lose all of our bearings being tossed about on the sea of life, we can look to the lighthouse of the gospel And be immediately reoriented to ultimate reality. We can be immediately reminded of God's heart toward us. That if we are the sinful fathers that try to give good, try still to give good gifts, we look at the never sinning father and see the greatest gift. And friends, that is transformative, it changes us. It shapes us, it reminds us of the great love that God was under no obligation to show us, and yet He did. It reminds us of the great mercy that God did not have to show us, but He did. It reminds us of the matchless grace that can be found nowhere else other than in the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. And as we lay hold of the gospel again, We remind ourselves of God's fatherly care toward us, and we're helped. We're changed. We are warmed. And we are reminded that even though his answer may tarry, he hears and he knows because he heard our ultimate cry He heard our ultimate need, and He gave the only gift that could meet that need, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you feel the weight of that? Do you see how the gospel helps us even when we pray? Oh, friends, our Father gives good gifts. He has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit shines the spotlight on the Lord Jesus so that we may glorify Him, see His greatness, and appreciate Him for all that He is. Now, let me say just a couple of things, just very practically here in thinking about prayer. The Lord does always answer our prayers, He always answers them one of three ways He may say yes, He may say no or he may say, later. And what this requires for us is to trust him. Now, on those simple times, the the easy transactions, so to speak, where we pray for something specific, God says, yes, that's what's most in line with my kingdom and my glory, and I'm going to answer that prayer. Okay, we don't have any trouble with that. Have a little bit more trouble with the no, and certainly seem to have trouble with the later. But this, again, is why the gospel is so important. Because in addition to being a lighthouse to reorient us to ultimate reality, it's also an anchor that holds us in place, that reminds us, if I can trust God with the most important need for my soul, then I can also trust Him in the waiting while His answer tarries. While we don't know what's going on. While we don't know how things are going to turn out. We trust Him because of the Gospel. We trust Him because of the surety of His Word. We trust Him because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that gives us what we need to keep trusting Him. And listen, I think it's also a great idea, I've told you this many times, I'll keep telling you this, to keep somewhat of a journal. Maybe you want to write it in a paper notebook, maybe you want to open an Evernote file and log it there, but you need to be reminding yourself of your prayers and also God's responses. I, I could give you 10,000 examples. Let me give you one quick thing. Years and years ago, uh, this is when we were at a, uh, in Louisville, this opportunity presented itself. Uh, it looked like what would have been a perfect position uh, to, for, for the kind of ministry that I was doing at the time, it just really looked like God was leading us in this direction. So we prayed and prayed and prayed, months of prayer. And at the end of the process of working that through, it didn't work out. And at the time, I was just crushed by it because I was like, we had prayed. And, and it, it, on paper, it made complete sense. But the Lord just took us in a different direction. And though it was very hard to see at the time, it took about three months, six months, then it began to be very clear why the Lord took us on that path and then also why it did not pan out. And so now, anytime that I pray and I don't see an answer relatively quickly, I go back to that story and I say, you know what? I thought that I knew what was best for me. I didn't even know. But you know who did know? My heavenly Father. And He gave me the gift of not giving me what I wanted because He knew what I needed. And He knew that the next thing that He had for us in ministry, that was going to be a better fit. There was going to be better timing. It was going to be the right move for the family. And the Lord, to this day, reminds me of that story, and we tell it regularly in our family because it reinforces this truth. It reminds us, we don't even know what's best for us. We we can't see the whole chessboard of eternity. We can't even see too far into our own lives. None of us have a crystal ball. But what we do have is the Bible, And the holy spirit and god's people and we have teaching like this that reminds us that we need to ask and seek and knock and pray and keep praying and also remember the one to whom we pray that he is the ultimate father who has given us the ultimate gift in the gospel and if he can do that then, friends, we can absolutely trust Him with our finances. We can absolutely trust Him with our families. We can absolutely trust Him with our own health. We can absolutely trust Him with all the areas of our lives because He has proven Himself trustworthy for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So let me ask you this question. Hearing what we've heard today, knowing about the way that we should pray with boldness and perseverance, but then also knowing who is it? Who is the one that we are praying to? What is the Lord saying to you about your own prayers today? How is He calling you to greater perseverance, greater boldness? And yet also at the same time, how is He tenderly reminding you of who He is and His heart toward you. Oh friends, it is my prayer that as you hear this today, you would give careful, thoughtful consideration. And that as we move forward this week and continue in praying for the church, that this would fuel our prayers, that this would help us and shape us and change us Make us even more effective in coming before the Lord on behalf of refuge and all that she represents. Let me also say this. If you're hearing this and maybe you're just checking in with us for the first time and you're not even a part of refuge, but but you hear the clarion call of the gospel and what we're talking about today, friend, it could be that God wants to save you today. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a substitute's death. He gloriously rose again, and He did that so that we could be friends with God. And what that requires of us is that we lay hold of that good news message by admitting that we're a sinner, by believing in the Lord Jesus, and by committing our lives to follow Him, by transferring the leadership of our life over to Jesus. And if that is stirring in your heart today, then I would encourage you to pray a simple prayer and trust in Christ, and reach out to us. We want to help you any way that we can on your spiritual journey. But for all of us, what this passage does is it puts us before the Lord. It puts us before the Lord in an unmistakable way to remind us just how important prayer is. He taught us last week, here's how to pray, drive toward these destinations and this week he taught us here's how to pray and lean into it in this direction with boldness perseverance and a convinced nature of the father's heart so let's go ahead now and take some time and do just what he taught us let's pray oh lord we come before you thankful also probably a bit convicted because it's so easy for us to do exactly the opposite of what you said in this passage we'll pray and then we'll just kind of tuck her out but lord we pray for the opposite to begin to take root in our lives starting right now that we would pray and pray and pray that we would ask that we would seek that we would knock, that we would keep knocking, and that you would, for your glory, let us see what only you can do. Lord, we pray for that in our church. As we are in this season of reset, and as we are systematically going through all of our ministries and saying, okay, what's working? What's not working? What do we need to do differently? What do we need to double down on? Lord, we pray for your wisdom to be able to sort that out this is your church and we want to see what only you can do with it lord we also pray for that for our families lord no family is perfect every family has plenty of struggle and we bring our wives our husbands our children our extended families before you and we ask for what only you can do In those situations. Lord, in addition to that, we think about our spheres of influence, and we think about those people that you've placed around us at work, in our neighborhoods, and other places that don't yet know Jesus, or they're not meaningfully connected to a local church. Lord, we pray for these folks, and we pray that you might in some way use us to be able to minister the good news of Jesus to them. We pray for that. Lord, we also think about the personal purpose and mission that you have given to all of us, the unique calling that rests on each of our lives in in some, some way, and we pray that we would live into that. We pray that we would be faithful to you in the midst of that. And Lord, as we continue to partner together as a church, we pray that we'd be able to go even deeper in discipleship. We pray that we would be able to cast a net even wider and 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 see more people meet jesus we also pray for more volunteers to be called up in this particular ways that we talked about two weeks ago for all of our ministries that they would be filled with volunteers lord we also pray for our finances that you would continue to cultivate within us gospel generosity, that everyone who calls refuge home would be investing in the mission of this church, and that we would continue to see her built up and invest beyond this church. Lord, we also look to the future, and we know that someday we'll be moving out of Winstead, and we pray for the next location for her. We pray that you would provide exactly where we need to be at the time we need to be there. Lord, we know that you are at work right now attending to all of these prayers. And we pray and ask for what only you can do. And we know that you'll do it for the sake of your name and for the good of your people and the good of your church. And we pray all these things in the mighty and sufficient name of Jesus. Amen.